Thank you for joining us at Living Water Community Church's podcast. We're glad that you're here. We want you to know at Living Water that God loves you just the way you are, but He loves you way too much to leave you there. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hey, thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Um, kids, have fun. Can we give James another hand for worship really quickly? Uh, I told you guys last week, and now we have more cops in the building this week, that I'm, I'm very bad about the whole hands-free driving deal. Um, and on my way here this morning, I was not hands-free once again. And, uh, sorry, Courtney. And um, I, was, I, was, uh, I was at a red light at least. I was looking, um, I got a notification on an app that's called Time. And, and on this app, um, it shows you like what you posted one year ago today and two years ago and so forth on social media. Um, and I was looking and a year ago tomorrow, was when we first came back into the building last year after we had shut down for a while for COVID, and it was like our first in-person service, um, and it was the it was the first service actually uh, that James led us in worship. And so, with that being said, today's like one year of James leading us in worship. So, thank you, James. You're awesome. Let's give him another hand. Really quick. I uh, went from a person that I met at a gym to talk about leading worship to a friend uh, to now we're, we're uh, watching our daughters jump in splash pads yesterday together. So so a great friend. He's, he's a great guy for our church. Um, he's, he's faithful, is dedicated. Um, and so we're very thankful for you, James. So this morning, I want to preach, and I was looking back, and this is the first time that I've preached since Easter Sunday. Uh, because you remember we, we kicked off this Testify series, um, and, and you guys have came up and faithfully shared your stories of what God's done in your life and the, the things that you've seen him do in your life and in your family. And, and, uh, and as I was looking back, yeah, it's been since Easter Sunday, so I know that, that we've got baptisms to do. I know we've got a lot of, uh, of people here, but I'm going to try in this one message to make up for the last two months. So I've got lunch catered in. We'll stay till about 1.30 or so is my plan. Uh, so just get comp. Taylor knew. Taylor knew what was happening. He brought his comfy chair today. I was like, only Taylor Brown brings that chair into church. But uh, he, he knew what was going to happen. Um, no, but, but this morning I want to preach on, on, a, on a, uh, an idea. Um, and, and I want to actually kind of stay in this area for a couple of weeks on this idea of encounters with Jesus. Encounters with Jesus, because I believe, and hopefully you believe as well, that if, if, if we have an encounter with Jesus, that our lives will be forever changed. If we will allow Jesus to encounter us, if we will accept and be willing to have this encounter that sometimes we don't even plan with Jesus, then anything at all is possible. So let me pray really quick, and let's dive into this thing. Dear God, thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for what you're doing in our church God, I thank you for worship today. God, I thank you for, for the four people who are going to be baptized today. God, I make that public confession of a private decision. God, I pray today that everything that comes out of our church would always be to glorify your name. I pray that every song that's sang, every word that's spoken, every message that's preached, everything that's done in every area of our church, God, that it would glorify you. And God, I pray today through my message that you would just speak through me, God, that I would be a vessel for you, and God, that your words would just flow from my mouth. God, let, let this word go on open ears and open hearts. Let us receive what you have for us today as we hear and study your word. We love you, 
and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. So you remember growing up as a kid, there was always, or for me at least, and probably most of you as well, growing up, there was always that one place or that one part of town or that one friend that your parents didn't like that you were not supposed to go around. There, there was always that place I remember growing up for me. The place where I got into the most trouble was at one of my best friend's houses. And we never did anything bad, per se, but we loved, we loved to roll some houses. I'll just be honest with you. We loved to get the toilet paper out and chuck it onto the trees. Funny story, uh, before me and Courtney started dating, that was my way of, I guess, maybe thinking I was showing her that I liked her, was to roll her house. And so I, I, we're throwing these, we throwed it, and my mom hated when we did this. At my 13th birthday party, we had a bunch of friends over to my house because my mom was always the one of, I would rather you be here so I can know what you're doing, you know? Um, and so we had a bunch of friends over, and that night we decided not to roll houses. We decided to, to change our game a little bit, and we were going to ding dong ditch my neighborhood. And uh, so we started doing that. And I have this one friend who actually is a cop today, by the way, Jesse Jones, if anybody knows him. Um, he's over at the house, and he was always that. He was like the teenage version of John. You know, like his shirts can never be loose because he's so jacked. You know, like he, he, he was that guy. Um, and, love you, John. And, uh, and, um, and so normal people, you know, will ring the doorbell or will knock a couple times. But he was that guy that he, instead of ringing the doorbell, instead of knocking, he would like pound on the door and then take off running. And I was like, I wanted to have fun. But I'm not freaking out on the inside. I'm like, oh, we're going to get in so much trouble. We're going to be in so much trouble. And sure enough, next thing we know, the cops are in our neighborhood. And they come to our house, I guess, because they see that there's like 12 teenage boys at the house. And they knock on the door. It's like midnight at this point. They wake up my mom, and they tell her, you've got two choices. You can either send every one of these boys back to their house at midnight, or you can make sure that they do not exit that front door for the rest of the night. And so we essentially got placed on house arrest as 13-year-olds, and we were stuck in the in the house, and my mom, once everybody left, I tried to play like, Mom, I'm so sorry, and she was like, no, you knew what you were doing. You knew it, and so I got in just as much trouble as everybody else. But there was always that one place or that one friend group or that one part of town that your parents, or, or maybe now you ask parents, like, I don't want you to hang out with them, or I don't want you to go there, or I don't feel comfortable if you are over there. And in the story I want to read today, in this time, the Samaritans were the ones that you didn't associate with. The group of people called Samaritans that, that were, were a, a mixed race of people, uh, it was a strange place, a place that you did not visit if you were brought up well during this time. It was a place that you didn't go, you didn't go to Samaria. If you were brought up well in a, in a family, you did not go there. And, uh, and like I said, all of us had that place as a kid. And 2,000 years ago, this place was Samaria. But what I love about this story, and I'm going to get to the text, I promise. What I love about this story is that Jesus goes to Samaria. Jesus goes to Samaria, and it's breaking all of the cultural and society norms by him, a Jewish man, going to Samaria and what I love about that is it shows me that Jesus goes to the places that we think are off limits to show us the love that we think is impossible. 
So Jesus goes and encounters these people in Samaria, and, and you might say, well, well, what would that look like today? What, what would that be the equivalent of today, a Jew and, and, and a Samaritan hanging out and meeting? It would be like me as a Gator fan hanging out with a ball fan, or a Florida State fan, or it would be like a Yankee with a Southerner, or it would be like a Republican, a Democrat. Like these people just did not associate with each other during this time. They did not get together. They didn't hang out, but Jesus goes to Samaria. Let's read the text. It's in John chapter 4, starting in verse 4, is where I'm going to be reading from. John 4, starting in verse 4. I think it's on the screens as well. Starting in verse 5, I'm sorry. Starting in verse 5. It says this, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Aren't you glad that Jesus gets tired too? It, it, he, he is one of the guys that is fully God and fully human. He, he, he can relate to everything that we've ever been through, and Jesus on this day was tired. Can I tell you if I'm being really honest, at my, at my house the past couple of days, we are tired. Marley has now figured out how to open her bedroom door. And so the past couple of days, she we don't hear her on the monitor. We don't, we don't do any of that. We just see her open the bedroom door at 6.30 and say, hey, mommy, hey, daddy. And it's like, hey, baby, it's the middle of the night. You're asleep. What are you doing? Uh, but, but we have been tired the past couple of days, and Jesus is tired from his journey. It was about noon, the scripture says in verse 6. It's, it's prime rest time, prime nap time. Jesus is tired from his journey, and so he sits down on a well. And as he's sitting there, this woman comes in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Come on, say living water. I mean, it is the name of our church after all. I know you can say it a little more enthusiastically. You can say living water. You guys are pitiful. We gotta work, we gotta work on our savings. So, so this woman is a Samaritan woman. Again, this is a person that, that Jews do not associate with, and especially she's a Samaritan, number one. She's a woman, number two. Jesus had no business talking to her. He had no business encountering with her. She was nasty. She was a mess. He, he, he had no reason to talk to this woman. No cultural norms, no societal norms, no, no religious norms said that Jesus should talk to this woman. But how many of you guys know that Jesus did not come to live by any of the norms that we've said? He, he came to break those things. He came to encounter people. And that's exactly what happens here. This woman doesn't even realize who she's talking to. She says, who are you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan woman, for water? And can you imagine her first thought? She's probably thinking, like, who is this joker that's posted up on the well? He's sitting at the well. Get your own water, man. Like, why do you need me? To get your water. Here's another guy that's asking for me to do something for him. I don't even know him. I'm not supposed to talk to him. He's not supposed to talk to me. And here he is telling me, give me some water. 
she, she's probably pretty upset. She's probably thinking, what is his, what, what's the plan here? And so, so she goes on in verse 11 to say this, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus responds, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, verse 15, Sir, give me this water. How, how long has it been since we've, we've pleaded with God and said, God, give me your water. God, give me your water. Because this woman, she says, I need the water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You see, during this time, there wasn't um, the nice water spigot on the fridge. There wasn't even the faucet in the kitchen. There was one way to get water, and that was either go to the well, or you could go, I guess, to, to a lake or pond or whatever and get some water. But it wasn't as convenient as it is now. So part of this woman's job was to go to the well and get water. And so this man that she has no idea who is says, hey, Lady, this well will always leave you thirsty. This well will always make you come back and come back and come back to it again and again and again, and you will never be satisfied. But if you will just hear about this living water that I have, you will never thirst again. And, and Jesus is trying to, to portray an illustration here of what he can do in her life, but I would imagine that this woman might be receiving this pretty literal. Like, I'm sick of going to the well every single day. You're telling me that you can give me something that will never make me thirst again. Jesus tells her that the living water is eternal and the woman is receptive. She says, give me some of this water. I want this water. The woman said, give me this water. I wonder as, as believers today, as, as Christians today, as, as people who are gathered here today on a Sunday morning, I wonder if we are as receptive to what God has for us today as this woman was back then. I wonder if we're as receptive to, to receive the water, to receive the love, to receive the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the acceptance as this woman was today. And I think if I'm speaking for myself, that the reality and the answer is probably not. And the answer and the reason why is because we don't feel like we need it. We're comfortable. Right? Nobody forced you to be here today, to my knowledge. Nobody forced you to, to, to decide to wake up on a Sunday morning and go to church at Living Water. Nobody forced you to, to say, I love Jesus, and if you do, you're going to be killed. Nobody forced us to do these things. Nobody made you this past week live a life that was worthy of honoring God. You chose to do those things. We choose to live this way, and so we feel like that we are good without an encounter with Jesus. When we've been a Christian so long, or we know so many scriptures, or we can sing so many songs, or we can pray so many prayers, that we have convinced ourselves that we don't need Jesus anymore. And so I'm afraid that we are nowhere near as receptive to what God has for us today as this woman was. Because she was desperate. She knew she was a mess. She knew that she needed a solution to her problem. She knew that she needed an answer to this whole well issue. And so when Jesus says, I got your answer, the woman was receptive. 
But where, where the story really gets good and where I really want to hone in today is, is the next couple of verses, um, starting in verse 16. So Jesus has, has spoken to the woman. She's receptive of the water. She, she's willing to, to say, sir, I want this living water that you're offering. I'm ready to receive it. Now what? Like, that would be the perfect place to end the story, right? The woman is a person that says, I want your water, Jesus. Give me this water. Boom. Cut scene, end movie, roll the credits, story over, we're all happy. But Jesus keeps the story going. And he asks her in verse 16, he says, go call your husband and come back. Go get your husband and bring him back. He can get some of the living water as well. Now, do you think that Jesus didn't know the situation that was about to unfold here. He, of course, knew. He knew what was going to happen. But he tells her, go call your husband. Verse 17 says, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus says to her, this is like the, yeah, I know. Jesus says to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five, count them. And the man you have now is not your husband. So what you've said is quite true. He's like, yeah, you don't have a husband. You got five exes and a boyfriend. You don't have a husband. You know, I know what you've been going through. You don't have a husband. So why does Jesus tell her to go and call her husband? The story says that she has five. She has had five husbands, and the man she's with now is not her husband. So she's had six men in her life. Verse nineteen, sir. The woman said. I can see that you are a prophet. Yeah, you just told me my whole uh, marital background. You clearly are somebody special. Uh, you are a prophet. I can see that you're a prophet. And our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But the Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she, she shifts really quick. She, she kind of gets off of the topic of who, who, who's my husband, where's my husband, go get my husband to hey, if you're a prophet, can you tell me where I'm supposed to worship? She's trying to change the subject. Have you ever tried to change the subject when you get into a sticky situation? Like somebody calls you on something, you're like, yeah, well, let me, how can I spin this to get out of this hard spot? That's what this woman does. Because Jesus tells her to go get her husband knowing that she doesn't have a husband. Why would he say that? The story goes on to say that she's had five husbands and the man she's with now is not her husband. So, so what did Jesus, I feel like every word that Jesus speaks is purposeful, right? I mean, hopefully we all believe that, that every word that comes out of the mouth of Jesus has a purpose. So when he tells her to go and get your husband, I know you've had five and this man that you're with now is not your husband. What is he trying to show? What, what's Jesus trying to show here? And I believe one of the things that he's trying to show is that every one of us in our own lives has a husband that we keep going back to over and over and over and over again, looking for some satisfaction, looking for completion, looking for fulfillment, looking for, for everything that we think we need. And ultimately, time and time and time again, it does not satisfy our needs. It, it does not fulfill our desires. I, I think that it's important. Again, everything that Jesus says is important. So, so why is this thing that, that you've tried five, six different times, why is it still not fulfilling you, lady? You've had five husbands. You, you've got a man now that you're not even married to. And she realizes quickly after Jesus says this, this guy is a prophet. He, he knows everything that's going on. This guy knows me. And then can you imagine what she's thinking on the inside then? If he knows that I've had five husbands, and I'm with a man now that's not my husband, like we're, we're all adults in here. Clearly, you know, she, she, she has something that she gives. 
And so she's probably beginning to think, well, is this just another man that's wanting something from me? Is this just another guy who conveniently met me at the well where I go every day, tries to have some small talk with me, and is trying to get something out of me? Is this just another guy who, who, who I wonder if he wants what I give, for lack of a better term? What, what's this guy's motive? What's he trying to do? Is he, is he really wanting some water, or is he after something else? What, what is this guy doing? And she had a hard time grasping the fact that Jesus was not there to get anything from her, but to give something to her. You see, up until this point in her life, every man that she's ever encountered has been trying to get something from her. They've been coming to her for something that she can give them. They've never tried to give her anything. They've all came to her looking for something that they can get. But again, everything that happens in Scripture has a purpose. And, and what I love about this is that nothing that God does is by accident. And, and, and as I was deciding what, what I wanted to preach on, you know, I, um, I was reading through this story, reading through the Bible, and, and I, I'm not going to take full credit for this because it was my mom. So if you're watching this later, mom, it's all you. Uh, but, but there was this thing, we, we had a women's conference at my mom's church back in February, and, uh, and she spoke one of the nights, and, and she talked about this story and about this woman, um, and, and one of the things that I had never caught before, one of the things I had never got, if you don't take anything else from it, maybe you learned something new from the Bible today, one of the things I had never really thought about was that most of us know that a lot of numbers in the Bible represent something. Right, like numbers represent like three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, you know, um, 12 disciples, tribes of Israel. We, we know that a lot of numbers represent a lot of things, but this is like, a, this is not rhetorical. If you know the answer, you to. Does anybody know what does the number seven represent? Completion. So, so let's recap again. This woman has had five husbands. She's with a man now that's not her husband. Let's do some math. Five plus one is? Six. There we go. Jacob knows math. Six. And then she meets this man at a well whose name is Jesus. And so he is the seventh man in her life. I don't think that that's by accident. I think that he's trying to show her, I've come to complete you. I've come to fulfill every bit of you that you can't fill anywhere, any other way. He comes into her life. He's the seventh man in her life, and he's telling her, I have came to complete you. I am here to complete you. You see, this woman had no idea when she woke up this morning that she was going to have an encounter with Jesus. She had no idea that her life would be forever and eternally changed because of this encounter with Jesus. He's the seventh man. This is not an accident. God doesn't work in accidents. He's the seventh man to show up in her life, and he's showing her, I'm here to complete you, lady. This woman's had five husbands. She's with another man, but Jesus, yes, the seventh man in her life. Jesus came to this well on this day. He broke through cultural and societal norms to encounter a woman that he had no business talking to, that everybody, can we be real, that everybody in the church would have been upset if they would have saw him talking to. They would have said, why is he hanging out with that woman? Why is he with that crowd? Why is he with that person? He had no reason to be there, but he knew that he needed to encounter this woman to complete her on this day. And so he comes to give her something, and she doesn't know how to receive it. 
She, she doesn't know how to receive because her whole life, she's been giving. She's been giving. She's been giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. And all of a sudden, this man comes to her and he says, hey, I, I don't want to take, I'm not here to get anything. Instead, I've got something for you. I've got this living water that if you will just trust me, if you will just take hold of this living water, you'll never have to run to find your, your seventh or your eighth or your ninth husband. You'll never have to look for fulfillment anywhere else. You'll never have to look to, to complete yourself anywhere else. But if you will just listen to what I have for you today. Every man up to this point in her life has been trying to get something from her. And Jesus comes to encounter her and do the exact opposite. The exact opposite. I believe firmly that in this story there are no accidents. Again, Jesus shows up. He meets this woman who he has no business talking to. It wasn't an accident. He realizes, hey, you've had five husbands and you're with a man right now that's not your husband. That makes me number seven. No accident. I'm here to complete you. And I believe that, that when we have an encounter with Jesus, like this woman, Oftentimes, we won't even know how to respond. We, we don't know how to receive God's love for us. We, it's hard for us to fathom and to, and to grasp and to understand the fact that I can be this horrible person and go back to the same husband in this story over and over and over and over again. I can go back to the same habit over and over and over and over again. I can go back and live the same exact lifestyle of sin over and over and over again. And you're trying to tell me that this guy will still forgive me. This guy will still want me. It doesn't make sense to our human mind. It's hard for us to grasp the fact that when we can encounter Jesus, everything changes. This woman didn't know how to receive she had only ever given things. And, and, and finishing up this story in, um, in verse, verse 19 and 20, she changes the topic, talking about worship. And I want to close with, with, with these last couple of scriptures today. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, that's what we aim to be, hopefully, so listen up, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Period. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So how do we, how do we worship? What is our goal for worship? It is to worship in two things, in spirit and and in truth, when we worship, our goal is not how great can we play instruments. It's not how great can the congregation sound singing. It's not even are we gathered into a building. Our worship is in spirit and in truth. I think last year showed us that, that we can still worship despite not being here. Our worship, when it's true worship, is worship that the Father seeks. Can you think of a higher honor than being a worshiper that the Father seeks? Can you think of, of being a, a higher honor than being someone that when you worship, Jesus looks down, God looks down, 
and says, I love it. it. It brings joy to me to watch you worship. It brings joy to me to hear you sing. I can't think of a better honor. Uh, verse 24 says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman says, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything. And Jesus looks at her and says, I, the one you are speaking to, I am. Imagine this woman realizing that, that she thinks she's just having a conversation with a guy at a well. And by the end of the conversation, she realizes that she just had an encounter with Jesus. This man who had no, he, 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 his fame had spread. People had heard about this man who opened blinded eyes and healed the sick and raised the dead. And so he tells her, I am the Messiah. And see, this is probably where, like, in the movies, she would be like, mind blown. Like, I just had a conversation with Jesus. I just had a, had a, had a face-to-face, a sit-down with Jesus Christ. And he tells me that he has something for me. And he goes on to tell her what true worship looks like. It's not a place. It's not a who. It's not, it's, it's, it's a how. How do we worship? Not where, not when. It's how and it's who. Remember today that when you encounter Jesus, everything will change. I know we're here to celebrate people being baptized today, but man, if, if we could get some people to have some encounters with Jesus today, that would be so great. That, that would be so great. If, if something that I've said, if something that God has pulled on your heart in the past 20 minutes that says, I, I am this woman, I keep going back to the same thing over and over and over again, and still... This guy meets me at the well and says, I'm here to complete you. I want to encourage you today that Jesus is here to complete you. He's here today to have an encounter with you. He's here today to hope that when you walk out these doors, you are not the same as when you walked in. Because you see, when you have an encounter with Jesus, everything will change. Everything has to change. Your desires will change. Your wants will change. Your priorities will change. Everything will change. Your conversations will change. Can I tell you this? Your marriage might change. Your your relationship with your kids might change. If we can just get a hold of Jesus, everything can change. Because when we encounter Jesus, we can't stay the same. God, thank you for today. God, I pray right now that you would move. God, begin stirring hearts. Begin stirring minds. God, again, I I can't wait to celebrate some baptisms in just a moment. But God, for right now, I pray that you would move in every seat, in every section, from front to back to side to side. God, if there's a person here today that needs an encounter with Jesus, God, I pray that you would show them you are right here. You are right here. Without anybody looking around, if you would just be honest and say, Jake, I need an encounter with Jesus. 
I, I need to realize that he is for me. He has came to complete me. He is here to fulfill me. I need an encounter with Jesus. If that is you, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to come back to you. That just really quickly slip your hands so that I can pray for you. If you need an encounter with Jesus, I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hand. Anybody else? I need an encounter with Jesus today. I don't want to leave the same way that I came. I see your hand. Move today, God. As we get ready to sing and stand, I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to say, hey. But if you raised your hand and said, I need an encounter with Jesus, can I encourage you that he is here? And not only is he here, but there are people here that would love to pray with you. There are people that would love to come alongside you and walk with you through this journey called life. That's what we do for the church. And so as they sing this song, as James sings this song, if, if you raised your hand, I want to challenge you. I want to, I want to, let's, let's get bold. Let's get bold with it. There's all sorts of places to pray around here. We've got an altar on one side. We've got plenty of space over here. If you raised your hand, I want to challenge you to come and pray. Come and ask God, say, Jesus, I need an encounter with you. And I'm not leaving until I get it. If you raise your hand as he sings this song, let's come and pray. I challenge you guys. Let's stand and let's sing.